Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you may be across the country or around the world. Welcome again to the Truth 101 podcast, where we explore truth and how it impacts your life and how we can know it. So I don't quite know how to begin the second um, episode, the second installment of this podcast. I mean, I'm fairly new, fairly young (laughs) um, in terms of you know, broadcast material. But there's a few directions, of course, I could go. I wish I had, at times like this, I wish I had a live audience where I could take phone calls. I've always wanted to get into broadcasting, to have my own radio program, you know, whether nationally or internationally, however. Uh, This is as close as I can get. So then you, the listener, the audience, can direct which way you'd like for things to go. But nevertheless, that's not an option available to us. So a few areas I'd like to take this. um, And I don't mean this to be some kind of an exercise in, you know, logic and how we can know truth and just, you know, going over the rudimentary principles of what is truth. But I think it is important to discuss this at the present moment just so we know how to determine truth from falsehood in in everything. Now, this isn't a one-for-one example. It doesn't apply in every scenario, in every case, but it is a good idea, especially when pursuing religious claims. And so I make no apology for the fact that I am a Christian. I am a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I think it would be perhaps good to start with that. And we might have a series of podcasts here in the future uh, relating just to Christianity. I'm very much interested in apologetics, and for those who are unfamiliar, uh, apologetics is uh, defending the faith. It comes from First uh, Peter chapter 3, where Peter says to always give a defense, an apologia, the Greek word, an apologia for the hope that is in your heart. And it is important. We, we don't have a faith that is um, if you are a Christian listening to this, and I, there will be many non-Christians listening as well, and I welcome their listening ears as well. But for the believers who are listening to this, we are called to give a, give a defense for why it is we believe what we believe. You know, I was an atheist for many years, and I always found the uh, the Bible and Christianity to be either made up at best or mythology, you know, at worst, and uh, in many cases, I had stuck to that as a vocal atheist. You know, you have the new atheist movement, and you know, with regard to evolution, and then you know, there is no God, the Bible was all made up. But the problem that I came across was this if the Bible is just a fairy tale book, a book of myth and legend, then why is it disturbingly accurate as to the way the world is? It's disturbingly accurate um, in regard to human nature, in regard to uh, the operations and, and, and just the rule in this world and how things go. Um, and so, and, and obviously the prophetic picture of the Bible has been coming, becoming clearer and clearer over the past few centuries and now over the past few decades and even years. So a book from the ancient world can't be that accurate, right? Unless it's actually true. And so I don't have, of course, the, the time, the length of time in, 
And this podcast, it might be a series of podcasts like I mentioned, but I don't have the time necessarily in this podcast to address all of the apologetic, um, you know, ways in which we can defend the faith. But I, I would like to maybe address some. But I thought in this particular podcast, we will talk about how we can know truth, what is truth exactly, and then pattern that with how it relates to being a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, I welcome people from all different religions, whether they be uh, from Islam, I welcome Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, uh, the New Age, New Agers, uh, even atheists, and I do, you know, atheism to me is, is a religion because they are um, worshiping at the altar of science and that science answers everything. Anyway, I don't want to detract too much from the main topic. So let's jump right in uh, right now. Truth. Okay, so there are, philosophically, there are two ways of knowing truth. There's the correspondence and the coherence. Very brief, correspondence is anything that relates or corresponds to reality as we see it and as it is. So that's the correspondence theory of truth. The coherence theory of truth is it internally is congruent. It internally coheres and is logical. In other words, it fits like a puzzle. For example, this is also known in in philosophical terms as a syllogism. It basically has a a premise, a middle, and a conclusion, and they all cohere. For example, uh, the the old classic example was uh, all men are mortal. Socrates was a man, thusly Socrates is mortal. That is logically consistent. That's what the coherence theory of truth states. So you take those two ideas, the correspondence and the coherence uh, ideas of truth and how we can obtain it and know it, and you have to use that against the backdrop of these four questions. Some say five, we'll just, for for brevity's sake, we'll just say four. And these four questions are origins, where do we come from? Number two, destiny, where are we going when we die? Meaning and purpose, why exactly are we here on earth? What is, what's, what's this all about, right? And then the fourth being morality, from where do we get our morals? And you can break each one of these down. So if you take your your target goal, say, in learning about a particular religion, whether it be Islam, Christianity, you can even look at it into atheism. Does it adequately answer these questions with the two theories, correspondence and coherence? And you can apply this test rigorously. You should apply it rigorously to every uh, say every worldview, every religion, or or philosophy of thought, and you can basically, you know, at that time you can arrive at conclusions. Hopefully, logically, logical, sound conclusions based upon the evidence. As believers, and just as anybody in general with rational human brains, we should let the evidence speak for itself. We should follow the evidence, not lead the evidence where we want it to go. That's called confirmation bias. And of course, in this age of COVID hysteria, you know, the Chinese virus nonsense, 
Um, I make very plain my my views regarding this. I, I don't I don't like it. I, I think that the I'm getting off topic, but real quick, I do believe that of course a lot of the COVID hysteria is been done as a pretext to further erode our civil liberties. That's happening in my country, in the United States, and I know it's happening all over the world in many cases. Um, nevertheless, I look at it as we have to follow truth and not just, you know, we already have certain biases, but we try to set those aside when examining impartially what the truth is, to look at it as objectively as possible. And I try to do that. I encourage people I know to do that as well, friends, family, uh, you, my listeners, to certainly examine truth with as objective a lens as you can. There there are facts in everything, and those facts do not need to be distorted. Um, no matter how, no matter how unpalatable, no matter how disagreeable they might be to us, because even when I became a believer, around three to four years ago, as a Christian, I, I was honestly a bit um, hesitant, a bit reluctant. I didn't care. I didn't want to. I, I was not that. Um, thrilled to be one because I thought, well, I'm just another one of these Christians. But if you apply those tr- that truth tests to, say, the Christian narrative or the Islamic narrative or any other narrative, you can come, a- you can come away with some fairly good and sound um, conclusions to which, you know, you can then live your life by. It's very, very important. With that being said, it is important to understand and construct an argument if you do decide to, uh, you know, give a defense for your faith. And let's let's be, let me be clear about something here as, as well. When it comes to Christianity, there are two types of defenses. There's a defense within and a defense without. So there's a defense against non-Christians, against anyone within any other worldview or religion. And then there's a defense against true biblical Christianity within the household, you could say, of faith uh, within Christendom. You know, Catholics versus Protestants, Charismatics versus non-Charismatics, you know, Messianic uh, folks versus non-Messianic, and so the list goes on and on. So you have in-house debates, and then you can have out-of-house debates. So it's important to make that distinction. And I don't mean to be belaboring the point with excuse me, with regard to Christianity. But it's just, I've arrived at the truth of Christianity based upon, like I say, based upon that truth test. You know, the four questions with the two ways of applying those questions. And, you know, does it, is it functionally adequate? Does it fit? Is it logical? Um, Can it be verified? Is it empirically verified? Right? And that's the thing. I believe a lot of people who are, say, atheist or agnostic, and agnostic is just your level of knowledge, level of knowing something. It's not so much that you, it's a particular religion. It's not. But you, you as, a, as an agnostic, you are basically saying that I'm not confident that I know, that I have the knowledge in that particular thing to come to a conclusion. So there are varying levels. You have 
the two things of theist and atheist, and then you have Gnostic and agnostic. A Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. Agnostic is without, and that means to not know. So for me, I am what you would consider a Gnostic theist. Anyone who is a Christian, they, are, they know that God exists. An agnostic theist is somebody who's not sure that God exists, but is, pretty sh- but, but is leaning toward the idea that God could exist. Then you have the heart of which I was an atheist, a, a basically an agnostic atheist. Or that person is not so hard, they're a little bit um, less dogmatic in their belief. And they say, well, maybe God does exist, but I'm leaning more toward the fact that he doesn't. Or you can have a Gnostic atheist, which is somebody who uh, firmly believes there is no God. So it all the words agnostic and Gnostic relate to the level of knowledge one has pertaining to uh, that said God. And theism and atheism is the belief in that God. It's also important to understand and with belief that there are two types of belief. You have belief in and then belief that. Uh, belief that is, okay, I have belief that God exists, or I have belief that God does not exist. I have the belief that the Bible is true, the inspired word of God, infallible. I have the belief that it's not, it's just made up. So if I have belief in or belief that God exists, that's not enough because even in the epistle of James, James writes, the demons have belief in God and they tremble, yet we all know they're not saved and they're not going to heaven. So what does it mean? You need you, you, A believer, a true believer, should move ultimately from belief that God to belief in. There is a, there is a minor distinction to be made between that. But, you know... Maybe I'm getting a bit off topic. I don't know. It is important to to understand those areas because there can be conflict at, at times. But the bottom line is this. When we look at biblical Christianity and we look at the many arguments that have been put forth throughout you know, the last 2,000 years, the last few centuries, whether they be the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, you know, the argument from, from creation, the argument from um, being that God is the most perfect being that can ever be conceived, therefore belief in him is certainly necessary. Or the, what, really gave, what really persuaded me and gave me pause to think, well, maybe there is a God, was what, what are called the anthropic principles or the anthropic constants, anthropic coming from man, and so it's, it's um, basically it's like special creation in a sense where God, everything was fine-tuned, the fine-tuning argument for creation, fine-tuned for human life and human flourishing. You know, if, we, if, we, if planet Earth were any closer to the sun in its orbit, we would burn up. If we were any further away, we would freeze. Uh, they would not be able to sustain life. The right amount of carbon, the right amount of oxygen, uh, hydrogen, all of the elements in our atmosphere, upper atmosphere, lower atmosphere, you know, the right amount of biological makeup within our DNA, our blood, all the things, the nutrients we take in, they're all finely tuned, and that indicates a designer. It certainly indicates a designer. Um, only an intelligence can make something such as this. To say that it came about by random chance 
with time and basically pressure because that's what the that's what atheists mostly go toward is to say it's time plus chance plus well in the case of biology and geology pressure that created everything we see today but even with the endless amount of time that they say that we had the universe being according to them 15 billion years old and even that number is in question uh, by cosmologists how could it how could it create all this because everything seems to have been created by a mind by some kind of a mind it's interesting if if anyone listening check out something relating to the uh the the proof for the soul scientific evidence for the soul uh not that they've come you know hard and said this is the evidence for the soul but it's very fascinating when you look at it that are we just a brain or is there something else going on here you know what informs what there has to be a mind we're not just a brain having uh, you know sensual physical experiences in this universe in this world we are a mind as well and some have called that the soul it's the mind soul kind of interface acting on physical properties in this physical world but there's certainly a spiritual part of this and a and a supernatural element to the world that we live in but to say that everything in the known universe came about by random chance with a lot of time and pressure um, doesn't answer the question of how it is so intricately designed and finely tuned and yes a lot of the universe if you've studied astronomy and physics and cosmology you you recognize that a lot of the universe is hostile to life it doesn't seem you know uh like it's friendly at all and it's not finely tuned i i don't really know what i re- think regarding life and on other planets and other galaxies and other parts of the universe I do kind of think we are unique because we haven't found anything yet but there doesn't seem to be much hope of finding anything either as there's a lot of the universe seems to be very barren and very very void of any kind of intelligent life but that doesn't negate the idea that there is intelligent life in the universe we are it here on earth and we see even if we didn't exist on earth there there was no intelligent sentient beings anywhere in the known universe you would still have a hard time saying it all came about by random chance because of the tremendous design anything that is designed requires a designer anything that has that looks of any kind of intelligence required some kind of an intelligent mind behind it and so that's one of the firm uh at least in my mind it was one of the sound arguments that helped convince me of the truth of christianity um and there are many others i mean we can go into the bible the bible has been um you hear you hear all these objections by non-christians the bible's been copied so many times we can't trust the translations and all this stuff well the only thing i have to say to that cuz that's a whole that's another 20 minutes in and of itself is to say the work that textual critics do these people are um 
They're Bible scholars, and they're, they study the ancient languages. The Bible was written in three languages originally, Hebrew, Greek, and, and some parts of the Old Testament, and Aramaic. Um, so Hebrew and Greek mainly. And they study that, they take the manuscripts that we have in existence today, and they compare them. And they say and they see that there are very, 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 very few differences, very, very minor variations. Like, for example, the variation, the difference might be in the spelling of the word the. Instead of T-H-E, it was a scribal slip, and it was T-E-H. So those things are not major whatsoever. Um, so it was coming to an understanding also that the Bible is trustworthy. I can trust what it says uh, because of the transmission, because of how it was transmitted from its original writing by the original authors of both the Old and New Testaments to our present modern-day uh, versions in whatever language you read it in. I do believe that it was, it was um, preserved and it was transmitted faithfully that the product we have today we can absolutely trust. And like I said, that's the work that textual critics do. They do it and they do it studiously and they do it very effectively. Um, more than any other um, religion has done with their ancient books. Uh, the Jewish scribes before the time of Jesus and then a few uh, centuries following uh, Jesus and the, and the birth of Christianity, we see that the Jewish scribes were very, very meticulous, very meticulous. So they kept, um, they were able to keep the integrity of the Old Testament you know, intact throughout many, many centuries, that it's not even a question. Um, and really, I find a lot of these people that bring up the arguments, most of them are atheists, that they've really not looked into it very deeply or considered things um, beyond the sound bites that they hear from, say, atheist scholars or scientists or famous people or, you know, whatever the media says, because we know the media is hostile to Christianity as well. Um, but that's, uh, you know, another, another topic. So that's where I'm at now. I think, uh, I've <laughs> given people a, um, solid piece of evidence and foundation to work with if they wish to learn more, engage others, things like that. Like I said, the four questions are very important. Um, you know, and you can even, you even employ science, you employ natural philosophy, things like this, when you ask those questions. For example, when talking about the origins question, how did the universe get here? We know science, according to even Big Bang cosmology, states that the universe had a beginning. It had a definite beginning back at a finite point in time. Okay, so if it had a definite beginning, then the steady state theory, which means the universe always existed, that's gone. That's not true any longer, as Buddhists say. The Buddhist Buddhism states that the universe has always been. Well, that's false. So here's the thing. Whenever, if, it's like a, it's like a, a house of cards. Have you ever built a house of cards? You know, you know, if you move one card, the whole thing crumbles. It's very, very fragile, right? <laughs> So, if even one 
within the whole, with each worldview that you examine, with each religion that you examine and apply this test to, if there's even one thing that comes up false with that, the whole thing is false. You have to throw the whole thing out and it doesn't, none of it works. And so like, for example, Buddhism essentially states that the universe has always existed. Or, you know, they also say, who cares? It's not for us to know. Well, we can know. And scientists actually state that, no, it never, it has not always existed. It's not eternal. The universe is not eternal. So you can throw Buddhism out. Hinduism states that the universe was birthed on the back of a turtle. Okay, well, that seems about as, <laughs> that seems as sensical as uh, getting a COVID vaccine, right? So <laughs> anyway, I didn't mean to throw that in there. But so you can throw that out. And when, it, when we come to the Abrahamic religions, say Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, you know, we have widely different, even within Judaism and Christianity, I'm not a, I'm not a person who lumps those two religions together. They're miles apart. Um, I studied Judaism for approximately four years before finally becoming a Christian. And so, because at one time I was going to convert to become an Orthodox Jew. I didn't believe Jesus was the Mashiach or the Messiah. But nevertheless, um, you, you, can par you can make parallels between the two and study them. And you say, okay, well, this is saying this. It doesn't correspond to truth whatsoever. And... Um, and I'll give you I'll give you something, because I know I have an audience in the Philippines, and I know the Philippines has, I know it's a Catholic country, but I know it's also it has a, a, a Muslim population. I think on the island of Mindanao. Actually, one, my my friend's father is a church planter on the island of Mindanao. He's been there for twelve years. But here's something you can say to Muslims if you encounter them, as I have. You know the the Quran, their holy book, is the only book that says that Jesus did not die on the cross. Every other book from the ancient world, from Jewish sources, Roman sources, Greek sources, Egyptian, um, they all say that Jesus was crucified, died, and rose. Some did not say he rose, but at least they say he was crucified and he died. The Quran is the only book which, of course, came 600 years later in the Arabian Peninsula to say that, no, Jesus, he was taken up by Allah. You know, Allah, he saw that Jesus was on the cross and he just took him up. He never died on the cross. So what makes more sense? I know history can be confusing and it's hard to really get in, delve in deeply enough to see, well, how does the evidence fit? What are the facts and what can we know? You know, but I think if you if you're looking at it from the perspective of of say uniformity or you know there's a majority of texts that say no Jesus that are closer in time to the crucifixion and those texts say that Jesus died on the cross he was crucified he died on the cross and he rose again what are you going to believe something that's closer to the time and they all say pretty much the same thing, or something that's six centuries later, and they, it says something wildly different. You know, the only thing that's similar is that he was on a cross, but that he didn't die. 
So that's one thing you can use against Muslims. And another thing against Islam is it actually, in the Quran, I forget which surah it's in. Surah is the Arabic word for chapter in the Quran. But it says that Muslims must obey the Bible. <laughs> they must obey the Bible. And if they don't, they're not a good Muslim. So I've used that against Muslims before, and they have no answer for it. Of course, they just say the Bible's been corrupted. But then this goes back to textual criticism. The work of textual critics is to give us the Bible as it was originally written. And they have done a very, very good job of that. Um, and it has been faithfully transmitted and faithfully preserved. So you got to know these things when you're engaging them so that you can, you know point out the holes in their logic and in their holy book, supposed holy book. You know, and I, I welcome Muslims to, to listen to this podcast and to, to have conversations with me, to talk with me. But um, in, in all of this, because this is a truth, truth is the foundation, it is the bottom line with everything that I'm going to talk about and everything that I believe in my convictions. So... I'm never going to beat around the bush. I'm never going to um, say something that is clearly not what it is. So I'm not politically correct. I'm unapologetic for that. I don't cater to that. And so, yeah, that's where I am. Well, we're about at the half hour mark, and I'm probably making this way longer. My producer's gonna going to be mad at me. But um, I just wanted to give this out and... Send me your, I don't know how, let me think about this, how I can get my information out to you all, where you can send me your comments and your thoughts, and how you would like some of the programs, because this is, the, if it weren't for you guys listening, I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> if nobody's listening, I'm just here talking to myself, having a conversation with myself, which I do, by the way, I'm not that crazy, but a little bit, okay, nevertheless, um, I thank you for uh for joining in and uh, stay tuned for the next um, installment should be forthcoming and um, and um, from the middle of a kind of an insane world that I'm living in with uh, everything going on I'm just one single guy trying to promote truth and trying to encourage others to do the same so until next time God bless and be safe